And welcome to the VSO Capital Tech and Transitional Energy podcast. It's uh, Thursday, the 14th of April. Um, I'm down at my house in Cornwall and I've literally just run in through the front door, uh, having been at the Campbell School of Mines all morning, which is nothing to do with tech and transitional energy, other than the fact that, of course, they're technology metals that are going into our technology. Um, and regular listeners will know that Phil is on holiday. So I've got a special guest this week and I'm very, very excited. I have got Tamsin Freeman, who is PI World. I, I was going to say it's founder, CEO, I'm not sure, but basically you are PI World, aren't you, Tamsin? Well, Tim and I are PI World. We're co-founders of PI World, oh. and I'm delighted to be here with you, Andrew. I'm I'm wanting to know more about the Cornish the other half. <laughs> Sorry, I I'm wanting to know more about the Cornish mines because they are related to transitional energy in a way, aren't they? And I think you're aiming to restore the whole of the Cornish mine sector. Um, what sort of prices does does tin have to be in order for it to be viable to get all these mines going again? I love this. PI well, for those that don't know, by the way, it sort of interviews fund managers and interviews companies. And you're straight into the interview process. <laughs> <laughs> Asking questions. Um, this is supposed to be a chit chat. No, I'll answer the question. Because it actually is really important because, I mean, the main uh, commodity that's going to be important for technology down here is tin. Everybody knows Cornwall has got a lot of tin because most people have heard of Poldark. Um, and the key to tin is that when Tim was trading at about $20,000, your Apple iPhone had about three cents worth of tin. It's the solar that connects all the together. Tin is now at about $50,000. So that tin is going to probably cost Apple six cents, um, i.e. it's immaterial. So there's no reason why the tin price can't double to again to $100,000. And it's still only been 12 cents for iPhone. So, the, the 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 ability of the price to go absolutely through the roof is is huge, and there is in fact a very interesting worldwide issue with the tin market where there is not enough supply for demand, uh, and so it is likely to go higher. But it is very relevant. I mean, also of course they have a lot of copper down here. They have tungsten. All of it is part of the transitional energy revolution, and it is, I believe, an area that is about to boom in terms of mining. Um, we've seen people like Sir Mick Davis, who was obviously Extrata with his new vehicle Vision Blue, buy into Cornish Metals. We've seen Brian Manel of TechMet buy into Cornish Lithium. And uh, we obviously recently did the flotation of Tungsten West, which is a huge tungsten tin mine. It is actually all happening. Um, but mining is a is a difficult area to invest in. And why it's such a specialist area and why perhaps certainly we uh, you're looking through your interviews, Tamsin, you haven't done that many mining companies. A lot of your viewers, and your viewers tend to be a lot of these high net worth investors, maybe find mining quite difficult because it is quite a complicated industry to invest in. I think that'd be fair. You probably have, have, uh, tend to avoid it. Would that be fair to say? Totally agree. But the quick question was for tin, what's the optimum, well, what's the minimum price it's got to be per per kilo up kilo or per ton in order for these mines to become viable okay i think if you had I mean, what you've got to look at in terms of price is the long-term price so it's not what it is today it's not what it is tomorrow it's what it's going to be on average probably over 25 years and i would say very roughly for cornwall to be economic in terms of a major tin producer globally you probably need a long-term tin price of somewhere between 20 and $25,000 per tonne. 
as I say, currently it's trading at about 46 uh, thousand, so it's well above what is required, and I believe it actually it's likely to go higher, not lower. And so I do believe that for the next 25 years it will be viably economic. So we can expect. Question. So you can expect to see all these mines brokering through BSA. Um, uh, certainly, BSA <laughs> is, is having a pretty good go at it. Um, we already act for Tungsten West, which is tungsten and tin. We act for Dolphin Exploration, which is tin and copper. And I'm working hard to uh, get my fingers all over a lithium uh, asset, uh, which I believe is the best lithium asset down in Cornwall. And it's all the lithium actually down here is all connected to Emery's, which own the English China clay pits. And they're a French conglomerate. And actually, you've got to understand their thinking to really get going on it. But look, moving on. From, no, moving on. I've got the next thing because you've been out. Have you seen Elon Musk's bid for Twitter? Yeah. 40, was it 43 billion dollars he's he's wants to offer for it to buy it absolutely or yes. buy out the outstanding shares he doesn't own for 54.2 dollars per share yeah I look and I think that is interesting and I'm, and I'm a sort of interested in your view because although you're not you're, you're not Twitter you are social media and that's how you and you get your should we say city opinions etc out through social media so what do you think of that bid or potential bid well, I think he's extraordinary, isn't he? I mean, he knows how much influence it has and he's gone straight for the jugular. So um, you might actually get your edit button in the end now that he's, uh, if he does take it over, you'll get your edit button, I would think. Well, I am in favour of the edit button. That's because I'm a terrible typist. I'm always making spelling mistakes when I tweet and I do tweet a bit. Um, and then I look and I think, oh, damn it. Why didn't I correct that spelling space? Put an edit I, button. I'm with you on spelling. that. Um, but what do you think of it? Um, I think, look, I, I do, um, I think social media, and this is this is sort of technology, is, is something you, number one, can't ignore, certainly from a city perspective. I mean, it's amazing in the city how much Twitter is used and how much information you can get off it. Um, I think that, you know, what you do with your, your video blogs and interviews, you know, you've got a tremendous following of, of high net worths and retail and and it's slightly different, should we say, from the, the proactives of this world. I think all of these, uh, you know, social media forums are very important for the city to understand for reaching out to retail and retail is an incredibly important part of the stock market. Ignore it at your peril, I would say. And most institutional brokers, including ourselves to a certain extent at VSA Capital, you know, don't have access to retail anymore, partially because of the Retail Distribution Review, which was one of the most stupid, really, really stupid um, pieces of legislation that the SEA put through um, about, I forgot what it was now, it was about 15 years ago. Why they have not realised it was daft, I do not understand. But the retail investor has basically been, to a certain extent, left behind and, and so now gets its information from these social media channels. And, and it's it's... Therefore, you have to take them a lot of respect. Yeah, I agree. But there's an I mean, there's people like yourself. We've found that we've engaged with an awful lot of professional investors, too. So it sort of goes across the whole bandwidth of investors. I mean, we're very much small cap or have been to date. So we get to the audience of small cap investors, which, you know, I don't think that 
10 years ago, we could have done what we've done, you know, a complete outsider without lots of city connections. And Twitter's enabled us, well, social media generally has enabled lots of people to get their messages out there, which has been brilliant. It sort of levels the playing field for anyone that's got something valuable to say. Granted, there's an awful lot of, um, you know, smoke out there that you've got to sort of distinguish between real news and and fake news but that's the same the world over well uh pi world of course that's where you get the quality news uh, <laughs> just just drop that one in Thank you, let's Andrew. Move, move. <laughs> flattery will get me everywhere let's move on a little bit to sort of some of the things that i've been seeing this week and maybe you've picked up because i know um actually it's interesting i did quickly look on your website before we started this and and i noticed quite a lot of technology companies that you've done interviews with in the past so technology obviously is a lot of interesting less transitional energy ones um but maybe that's because it's quite a new sort of industry but i don't know if you saw this week one of the sort of again big sort of generalist headlines honda is going to invest 64 billion dollars into pushing its ev division um, i mean again it's a mouth-watering number 64 billion dollars and of course if honda are doing that imagine if every car manufacturer is doing the same this is why the whole transitional energy area is a sort of a, a trillion multi-trillion dollar industry and why it's so exciting um i mean do you have a, a a generalist view on transitional energy tamsin do you look at it and go oh but that's i mean how do you look at it you look at it, oh that's batteries or that's metals or you know do you have a view well, it's certainly become a hotbed for the last sort of two years, go back two years, and we saw very few presentations that had ESG in them. And now everybody's thinking ESG and go on from their transitional energy. Um, as an investment, I think it's it's quite difficult to separate what's going to be the winner and what's going to to, to fail. And it, it's all very well to sort of chase it. And there's an awful lot of money chasing it. But it sort of also seems quite high risk and you have to know what you're doing. So so I'd come to the expert, Andrew, you know all about transitional energy and what retail investors or any investors want to know is where they're going to make money and how they're going to avoid losing it. So where do you think are going to be the winners in the sector? I mean, you've got solar, wind, hydro, hydrogen, long duration energy storage. You know, there's just so many um, different and, and many more that I haven't mentioned. But who do you think is going to be the winners within the sector? And then you've got to break it down to which companies within those sectors are going to be the winners. Yeah, I, it, I mean, this is becoming a who can flatter each the most and who can ask the most <laughs> questions. Um, but it's, um, look, as you say, there are a lot of different things and, and actually different parts of the transitional energy sector have different sort of time lengths in terms of where you'll get your return. So you mentioned a few. I mean, solar and wind is very interesting. Um, in truth, solar is a very mature industry. Wind is becoming quite mature, although there's a huge amount of investment going into offshore wind. And I've many a time said on this podcast that SSE, in my view, is a, is a really interesting buy because it is so involved in offshore uh, wind and it's got a huge amount of um, ability to grow that. Um, it's obviously got Elliott Partners also stalking in the background and it has a pretty high yield. So as a stock, I really like SSE. It's a nice um, you mentioned their long not... duration energies. Sorry. 
Sorry, it's a nice yield, but it's not going to exactly um, sort of go flying in terms of capital terms. It's a sort of steady eddy, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is a steady eddy. Look, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I tend to buy personally some of the more speculative stocks, but I own SSE. I've got it in my pension fund and you can pick up like a sort of 4% yield and I would hope sort of a 10% on average every year. 14% you know return annually if you can do that for 10 years it's a great investment yeah you I can't don't have you get everything. that capital return but um it, it's it's a more juicy capital return than I was anticipating yeah and look, you can't have everything being too um speculative because then you you run potentially too high a risk um but I mean tying in onto the wind uh, uh, we had a, an announcement out of Lamprell uh, this week with more good news. Um, Lamprella really interesting because they're sort of moving away from doing oil rigs to wind farms uh, um, because obviously there's a lot of similarities. I quite like Lamprella. I think it's a good stock. Again, it's one we've talked about quite a lot on this podcast. Uh, you mentioned long duration energy storage. It's an area we look at a huge amount, the whole sort of because it ties in with batteries and I have very strong views. I think everybody knows that I'm a huge fan of Invinity and Vanadium flow batteries, but we had news actually last Friday, but since our last podcast out of Invinity, uh, they've uh, announced a, a partnership with Hyosung in uh, Korea, and that helped the price move up. And I think there's there's hopefully more news to come out of Invinity. And also on batteries, we had quite an interesting announcement from AMTE, which is also up in Scotland, not far away from where Invinity are in Scotland, where they've also done some joint ventures. Uh, and again, the AMTE price sort of jumped up about 20%. The one thing I'd say about batteries is, though, that in many ways, they're a bit like mining companies that, in that you invent a battery and everybody gets really, really excited. You've invented this new battery and it's fantastic new technology. But it then takes a long time to actually develop it, make it suitable for large scale and get it into production and in use with the end users. And that period can be five to 10 years in the same way that a mine, you explore it. And then it takes ages to do all the feasibility studies before you get to production. That value curve in mining is called the uh, Lassonde curve. Uh, and everybody knows you've either got to buy it right at the beginning or right at the end. The same is sort of true, unfortunately, for battery manufacturers. You need to go through this period of development where it's quite difficult for investors to sometimes get a return. Again, a company that probably realised that was Johnson Matty. Uh, they were developing a battery the, um, and they actually spent $150 million and then recently pulled out of developing anymore. They just said, look, this is just costing us too much. Stock price fell heavily when they announced that. They had a trading update again last Friday, uh, which actually, it was basically profits in line. But the market viewed that as actually pretty good because it was where it was going to be below. Uh, and so Johnson Massey stock actually went better. Johnson Massey, I think, is a is a really interesting company now. It, it's It's had a bit of a change of management bit of a change of strategy you know if you look at its performance over 20 30 years it's been a really good steady performer uh, I would be a buyer of Johnson Matty uh, it looks quite low <laughs> that looks quite low margin is it um is that skewed because they've got loss making bits in some areas so it brings the overall margin down yeah look the margins they've got quite a lot of different divisions and the margins in each division would be very different um, and look, they're, they're in that position where one division could suddenly suddenly take off. I mean, for instance, they do have a hydrogen division 
it's not doing a lot at the moment because nobody's doing a lot in hydrogen. It's a bit of a, a buzzword. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I just think it's got the ability if it with a bit of luck, it can strike a bit of it won't strike gold because it doesn't do gold. But, you know, it could suddenly see one division do really well and you'll actually see that wonderful announcement when profits are ahead of management expectations. But so I think I with like the, just, I think yeah, with the vol I think with volatility that you're talking about across the sectors or across each of these sort of uh, you know plays that take quite a long time to play out, you you have to really really know what you're doing so you have that conviction to hold when everybody else in the market is running away from it, and and therefore your knowledge of this transitional energy sector has to be really, really strong. And, you know, because it's a new industry, I think, well, it just takes a lot of work to get up to speed on it. Well, I'm, I'm obviously lucky. I have analysts that help me do it. And I think, as you know, I've been looking at the whole transitional energy value chain from mining to batteries to wind and hydrogen to, to right through to the e-scooter now for about 10 years and I've sort of immersed myself into it. Look, if you're not um, happy to take the risk on one particular stock, I'd actually recommend a fund. Uh, it's one that I own personally, which is, and it, I'm, it's, I have to be careful say what I say because it's actually run by my son, but it's the Schroeder's Global Energy Transition Fund. Uh, it's, it's a big fund, it's about two and a half billion. Um, so it's it's well spread in its investments. It's 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 obviously you know when when the sector comes off, it comes off too. But I would say it's it's been outperforming quite nicely. It's it's sector. Um, I'm biased. I think the fund manager is very good. Um, but if you want to just a generalist, hey, I want to invest in um, the transitional energy. That's a good fund to invest in. Well, he's done tremendously well, both in performance and the funds that he's attracted. What did it start with? What were the funds under management when it first started? He was seeded a couple of years ago with, I think, five million. He's got about two and a half. Just <laughs> phenomenal. Just phenomenal. And did uh, he, was he up 100% in the first year? He was up about 100%. Yeah. Yeah, just phenomenal. He said he pandemic, a global war. A consumer squeeze, a, you name it, I've done everything. <laughs> what else is going to be thrown at me? Well, I know. I think we all feel uh, that, though, don't we? It's just been phenomenal with COVID and now a war. It's just the it just been unbelievable, the, the macro environment. And, of course, now inflation. 7%. Well, uh, yeah, you know, correct. It's, it's interesting you mention that um, because, you know, when, we, when I started this, as I say, you don't do too much in our space. But of course, a lot of your stuff is what I describe as more in the the um, a lot of stuff in consumer. Well, well it's only where the consumer touches it, and with inflation and the consumer squeeze, you know, it's going to put a lot of pressure on those sort of companies. Actually, the great thing about certainly technology companies is they have less of that impact from inflation. You know, their cost of goods is de minimis, really, because they're, normally they're just it's the cost of their, you know, their their. Whatever well, you I forgot what you call these people now who do all the coding and the coders and that sort of stuff. You know, it's it's a people industry. So actually, if you look at the results that have been coming through in technology, and, and this week we've had people like Marks Electrical, Diploma, Electro Components, all of them actually have come through with really good results. Um, I think um, yesterday we had Dark Trace Q3 trading. Uh, again, they up 
increased guidance to 40% growth for the year. Cybersecurity, they are dark trace, clearly with what's going on with Russia at the moment and the Ukraine war, I suspect that cybersecurity is quite a good place to be in. But again, really good trading statements from all of those. And actually another one which was good yesterday was Oxford Instruments. Um, they said their profits are going to be marginally ahead despite supply chain issues. Uh, I know that some of your followers, funny enough, I've, I've seen picked up off Twitter again, but there are, you've got some fans of Oxford Instruments out there, um, but marginally ahead. So the technology industry in general actually is performing pretty well. Um, but of course, at the moment, we saw in January growth stocks absolutely collapse, i.e. technology stocks, and, and value go up. I think at the moment in that turning point where we need to go growth stocks and technology because they are actually performing really well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, two two stocks that I watch was um, this week Cambridge Cognition reported, as did Calnex, and, and they both are in the tech sector. Um, do you know either of them? Do you know what? You, you caught me on the hop. I don't know those two. <laughs> well spotted. <laughs> How on earth have I managed to come up with something that Andrew doesn't know about? So Cambridge Cognition are a tech company that develop and market patents for or patent solutions for um, patented solutions for better brain health. So they assess people's brain health in their homes, which, of course, with COVID having happened, this is um, in demand by drug companies who are developing drugs for Alzheimer's and dementia and the like. Now, their revenue was up 50%. Their contracted order book is up to 17 million from 11.2 last year. They've moved into profit for the first time and they're now ahead of expectations. Well, sorry, these results were ahead of expectations. And the outlook, they, there are forecasts out there from Dowgate, but I think they're pretty under-egged. So the share price did have a strong run up in the um, before the results and they came back 10% on the day. But um, I think watch this space on Cambridge Cognition. And Calnex do um, test and measurement in telecoms and that's not sort of old telecoms. Their demand is, is driven by the rollout of 5G and cloud transition. And they came out for the second time in about three months trading slightly ahead of expectations and the announcement of a acquisition which um, do tech in the same space um, but slightly advances their their capacity and they're very well connected in um, customer tech financial gaming and military and Calnex want to leverage their marketing into America to take the acquisition of iTrinity into America too um, that one's not so cheap um, I'm sort of sitting on the sidelines with that one I like it a lot but it just seems a bit expensive at the moment so those were my two bits of uh, tech this week that um, that picked up but I was interested with Dark Trace. I haven't followed it a lot, but the share price was off over 10% yesterday. Why do you think that was? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, one of the things about the market is it's it's not just about saying your profits are slightly ahead. You've got to beat expectations. So and, and expectations sometimes are ahead of what you've got out in the market. Uh, and that's the danger that you run into with the stock market. It's the most peculiar animal sometimes. Um, and I think that's probably where Dark Trace, I think people realise, look, cybersecurity, it's clearly a very hot place at the moment. Probably thought, yep, 
they're going to increase guidance because everything's going on and they only marginally increase guidance. Um, and so that's disappointing. I mean, it seems very unfair, but that's just the way the market operates, isn't it? Well, it's also quite difficult to value because it's not making any profit. So how do you value it? Well, um, you know, yeah, how do you value tech stocks full stops? I mean, it's one of the hardest things out there, I think. Uh, and the other point, of course, is, you know, it was a lot of the IPO stocks during the pandemic have performed terribly, haven't they? Yeah, Kelnex actually was an IPO stock, so it did incredibly well. It's been one of the IPO winners. No, that's good. But I mean, I, we, when we didn't mention Deliveroo had uh, an update this week. Um, you know, that's technology, really, because you do it all off your phone. Um, will they ever make any money, Deliveroo? Will they be on that? I don't know. Well, I, just... I think it's a tough environment because I think the people that order a lot on Deliveroo are probably, or a certain percentage of those that order, will be having a cost of living squeeze, as we all will, but it'll affect some more than others. And uh, so it didn't surprise me that their figures were off. But yeah, it's very, very expensive as well. I mean, I, I'll tell you one actually today that we, sh we should mention in the tech side where their Q1 profits were up 45%. And that did beat expectations is uh, TSMC, um, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing. No, TSCM, uh, but the big Taiwanese chip manufacturer. You know, we're all hearing about these shortage of chips everywhere. Their Q1 profits up 45%. And that's because, well, yes, they've got supply chain issues, but people are having to pay an awful lot of money for their chips at the moment. Um, that is serious growth of profits up 45%. Amazing. So you're very um, keyed into China. And I think the container costs were coming down a, a fraction, but if now we've got uh, COVID in China and I gather that Chinese ports have got a backlog again because people haven't been at the ports to clear things. Have you got any insight into how things are locking or unlocking and what the situation in the ports is, is at the current moment? It's it's a very good question, actually. I mean, not only do we have an office in Shanghai, um, but we do work with people who are, are involved with China. And look, all I can say, it's bloody tough. Um, Shanghai is, you know, pretty much closed down, which closes down business. It closes down, as you say, the ports nearby. It's just grind to a halt. Um, I think it's it's going to carry on actually for a while um, because it does appear that the Chinese want to keep the zero COVID policy. Therefore, there's no no chance, I think, of it, it changing, certainly in 2022. Um, and therefore, if you are invested in something that has this connection into China, you do have to take the view, I think, that either sit with it and see it through and when it all opens up again, life will be fine. Or you have to take a view that, well, OK, Maybe China is changing the whole, obviously, you know, global politics at the moment is cha are changing so much. Um, and maybe some of the people who have got caught out, not just with supply chain logistics in terms of timing, but also, as you say, in terms of cost, because it is so expensive. Uh, and it, in transitional energy, cost is quite important. All these people are putting out batteries. Their costs go up dramatically when a container price goes up, for instance. Um, you may say, look, I've got to move out of that. And I think actually some companies out there are definitely now looking, but I know they are because I'm working with some of them, where maybe they had manufacturing uh, in China. They're saying, actually, you know what, let's move our manufacturing to the UK 
or to America or somewhere like that because it'll cut out all the costs of transportation. And actually today, the difference in manufacturing costs between China and somewhere like America is not so different. And in particular, now that we are seeing AI and robotics play such an important part in terms of manufacturing, you take out a lot of the people cost. And the cost of a robot in the UK or America is basically the, same as the cost of a robot if it was in China. Uh, and so I do think that you will see more uh, manufacturing and that sort of thing, particularly in the technology and transition energy space, become more local, um, which is actually good for you know economies as well. It's good for employment in, in countries. And in that respect, it will slow the growth of China. I mean, China's a, a juggernaut. It's not going to stop. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going negative on China, but saying that I think you will see some change. And by the way, if you want to play uh, the artificial intelligence and robotics. There's a very good ETF called, it's it's auto and robotics ETF. Um, I actually own it personally. It's been a terrific performer. I've had about five years um, and it's a good way of playing that space. So I, I think that was, the, the answer is, your question about China is that, uh, look, the game in China is not over at all. It, it's got another hundred years of growth, but it is going to slow. It is going to be different. And you you might want to consider if you did have high exposure there, reducing it slightly, and you have exposures to companies maybe in ways you don't realise. I, I, but I do think you'll see a lot of manufacturing being moved away from China back into the domestic markets. And do you think that'll cause inflationary pressure, or do you think we've already seen that with the increased costs of of containers and and the like? And you know, it's what do you think is going to happen with inflation? Do you think it'll plateau or do you think we'll carry on seeing it going up like it is? That's a big question. I could spend a day answering that one time. This is supposed <laughs> to be a half, half an hour podcast. Uh, look, I mean, inflation is clearly way too high and something's got to happen. I mean, the reality is, is two things will happen. One, the consumer is going to get so squeezed, he's going to stop spending. And that brings inflation down. And then the central banks have got to wake up and realise that at the moment they're running this artificial interest rate uh, and they've got to change it. I mean, as an example, and this is just an example, you know, UK interest rates are half a percent. Um, I've got uh, three children who had student loans at university and the interest on a student loan now is 12 percent because it's RPI plus. Uh, I mean, that is ludicrous. You can't have that. Um, the government is basically just ripping off those people who have left university. Something's got to change. So I think it, my, the answer to that is I think inflation will head down. I think interest rates will head up. Again, it all adds to the squeeze, but so so be careful on the sort of consumer side, et cetera, et cetera. Technology doesn't get too badly hit by that. Transitional energy is a much longer term sort of thing. Now, I, I tell you what, we're going to have to. It's been great chatting to you, Tam. I think Phil, Phil can go away. I think we'll just chat every week now, Tam. Right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's far more interesting. And you ask me lots of tricky questions. I, I'm going to ask you one now because you, you run some great programs you do two i think uh, one is stock slams um, yeah. where you get people to come on and talk for three minutes about stocks and if no one's ever watched it it is quite interesting it's um it, it, i watched one the other day on gore street energy fund um i don't know if you remember that one being done it was right at the end of one of your programs um, yes, the, the one he was quite interesting although he couldn't quite say the real key to it and there's actually, he did think it was the only one out there. There's quite a few. I mean, the other one that's really well known is, is Gresham uh, Storage Fund, Energy Storage Fund. 
They are quite interesting vehicles. The one thing I'll just say to anybody who's invested in these, I, I believe I have not had it verified yet. None of them are put in what I call a decommissioning charge for when their batteries run out. And the cost of recycling a lithium iron battery for these energy funds will be very high. And so just be careful. I, I, so I'm pretty sure I'm right. They haven't allowed for that cost. So they do look incredibly attractive, but there could be a sort of what I'd call a nasty pension black hole at the end of it all. It's not a pension black hole, but it's a decommissioning cost to get rid of those batteries because it costs an awful lot to recycle. Um, so that, but the other one you do, of course, is you have your uh, sell it to the city um, competition, don't you? Talk us we through that do one, indeed. So we've got a panel of fund managers, including Andy Braff, Judith McKenzie and Stephen English. And we get three investors, um, private investors. And the idea originally actually came from the Stock Slam. And Andy, Andy Bruff turned around and said, I'd like um, retail investors to pitch a stock that maybe I haven't heard of, because I think there was one in the Stock Slam that he hadn't heard of. So he said, why don't we have a sort of, um, I, I suppose it's a Dragon's Den type thing of um, retail investors pitching to fund managers for stocks that they may want to put into their portfolio. Of course, the challenge is trying to find a stock that one of them doesn't know. But it's a lot of fun. Somebody pitches for about 10 minutes and then they have Q&A. So it's quite an in-depth pitch, much more so than the Stock Slam which is only three minutes and um, everyone's done a fantastic job so far and I think what retail investors have found is it's really interesting to see the way that the fund managers are thinking and for anyone that wants to pitch what Andy Bruff always says is we don't want just the sort of straight facts we want the sort of um, common sense guide as to to why this is a good investment the things that you don't perhaps read in a investor report so yeah it's a lot of fun and worth looking at I think the last one was January and the next one is actually coming up in a couple of weeks time. Well that was good that was a good chance for you to uh, promote it but also I think I'm correct no one has pitched yet a tech or transitional energy stock. You are correct no no one has not at so all that's so that's the challenge. challenge. If, anybody's listening, <laughs> if anybody's listening to this and they want to do go for a tech or transitional energy stock um, and see if you can win the sell it to the city with one of those stocks so, that would be really interesting. One extra thing about this is we're now going to go to universities. So various universities run um, university courses on finance or investing and they run their own funds, some of them. So we've gone around some of the universities to get um, undergraduates to pitch in the next one. And we quite like to sort of do a sort of university challenge type thing ongoing, getting young investors involved because the investing community always seems to be older people, generally male. So we wanted to try and spice that up a bit. <laughs> You're not talking about me, are you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't at all, Andrew. You've just taken that personally. <laughs> <laughs> I still feel young at heart. Look, I'll tell you, we're going to have to wrap it up in a second, but I'll just finally say a little bit of promote for PR World. But actually, I also just quickly flicked up your, your website before we get on this. Uh, and, and by the way, but I think Tanton, you'll agree, I do do this absolutely live. There was no prep for this, was there? We're just talking as we are, which is, I know, worried you slightly, but it does work, doesn't it? It does work, but your internet has cut out a couple of times, but don't worry about it. <laughs> OK, well, I apologise. If anyone needs those bit filling in, ring me up directly. It's because I'm down in my house in Cornwall and, and maybe the internet isn't there. But you've got some interesting stocks actually up on your website where you have interviewed in the past. Some of them may be a bit old, but I'll just go through them because I think they're interesting. But there's there's the Aquis Stock Exchange, which most people know. I think it's really interesting. There's a debt technologies 
which I own in my mother's IHT portfolio, which I run. I really don't know anything about it, and it hasn't been a great performer, but somebody please make that perform. Uh, you do actually have a, an interview there with Gresham Energy Storage, which is a very interesting company. Illica, which is a stock that um, we probably should talk about more one day, um, because I think solid state technology is it, for batteries is really interesting. But Illica's in that phase where it's 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 done the, the the technology bit, and it's now going through these years and years and years of building up the production plant, which is where everything goes quiet. You had Tecmar on there, which is a really interesting stock in what we call our picks and shovels. Uh, they do the cabling underwater from the wind farms onto land. Really interesting. And also Traxxas, which had uh, figures last week. We talked about it in last week's podcast, but again, is a stock that I really like, and I have in my mother's IHT portfolio. But some really interesting videos there. If people want some historic uh, information, should we say, to, to go and have a look at. But on that note, we probably should call it a day. Uh, Tamsin, it's been great having you as a special guest, and you were a special guest. Um, as I always say at the end of this uh, podcast, if anybody disagrees with our comments, do tell us. Or if anybody wants us to talk about anything next week, please let us know, and we'll try and talk about it. Or if anybody's got a, another special guest, they couldn't be better than you, though, Tamsin, uh, do recommend them, and I'll try and get them on. But Tamsin, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Andrew, thank you for inviting me.